Hey, grab your Bible. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. If you don't have your Bible, there's uh, some uh, softbacks there under the chair on the aisle there. You can ask someone to pass you one of those. Appreciate your prayers this past week. Many of you know that um, a good friend of mine and mentor um, passed away after battling with uh, brain cancer. Uh, passed away last Sunday uh, morning while we were in worship. I mentioned him while we were taking communion, and uh, right about that time is when he passed. But I appreciate your prayers. Um, we had his funeral on Thursday, and it was it was uh, glorious. It was um, uh, not a lot of fanfare, not a lot of pomp, uh, just the way he would have wanted it. Uh, the best part of the whole day was being at his house afterwards with his family and just eating and fellowshipping. He would have enjoyed that part, I think, the most. But thank you for your prayers. Uh, I mention that not only for that reason, but because he was um, uh, officially the um, treasurer of Cornerstone Incorporated. He uh, opened our bank account. He got us incorporated. Uh, If it wasn't for that man, uh, we wouldn't have gotten to where we are. Uh, And so um, he is an integral part to the starting of this church. And so I, I praise the Lord for his life. Um, all right, here's where we are. We have, we have been talking about the doctrine of sin. And uh, we were tracking through in the doctrine of sin. And last we talked about the doctrine of sin, we started talking about what do we do when sin gets into the house of God? What do we do when sin is in the life of a believer and it's in the church? Do we have to deal with it? And last time, the first part of this message was just laying the do is my business. Whatever you do is your business. Uh, I won't judge you. You don't judge me. Whatever I say subjectively is okay. We do not uh, trim our sail to that philosophy of this world. Paul says we have a philosophy that is set uh, by God and that we are accountable to each other. And I'm going to tell you a little later in this message why the purpose that we find ourselves accountable to each other. We're going to talk a little bit about the whys, the purpose. But for now, here's where I want to start. I want to start with the problem. We're going to be in Matthew 18, and we're going to go 15 through 17. Matthew 18, 15 through 17. You know, we can preach and teach against sin all we want. All right? We can preach and teach against sin. We can preach the Word of God and talk about how we're not supposed to do this, how we're supposed to do that. But listen, if we don't follow that teaching and preaching up with some accountability then we might as well not teach. It would be like me um, telling my son, Grady, and those of you who know Grady you know, will chuckle at this, me telling Grady, a three-year-old, hey, listen, dude, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, don't do this, don't do this, right? But then there'd be no accountability to him doing that. If I tell him, hey, uh, don't hit your little brother, a hundred times, but he goes and hits his little brother, but I don't follow that teaching up with any accountability, then what does he learn? then for me to say, don't hit your little brother, really has, really has no point. It really has no consequence. There's nothing behind it. There's no viscera. More so than that, his little brother is going to learn eventually that when dad says something to his older brother, he doesn't follow it up with discipline or accountability, he can get away with anything he wants to. So this is a very important passage. It's a very practical passage, but frankly, it's not a passage that we teach very often. It's just not a passage that the church teaches. But I want to give you... The how-to this week, all right? We talked about the fact that we've got to do it. This week is, if we have to do it, if we are accountable to each other, how are we going to do it? All right, let's jump in here. Matthew 18, starting in verse 15. Number one, I want to show you the problem. 
And it comes very quickly. If your brother sins. Now stop right there. If your brother sins. Here's the problem. You have a brother. Now, this is a very important point. It's obvious, but I hope you don't miss it. We're talking about a fellow believer. We're talking about a Christian. This whole accountability thing, let me just give you a, a, a word of caution. Don't try it with a lost guy. It doesn't hold any water. They have not agreed to the same standard that you and I have agreed to. And so that's fair, right? That we can't hold them to a standard that they haven't agreed to in this same way. They're not accountable to the laws of God and to the righteousness and to the purity that God has wanted and desires for his church because they've not committed to it. So don't try this on a non-Christian. We're talking about family business. If a brother, a fellow believer, does what? If he sins. Now, some passages say if he sins against you. But either way, here's what I want to say. If your brother sins, then we have now this passage of responsibility. The problem is that a fellow believer, whether he has sinned against you or whether you've witnessed a sin that he has committed against another, there is an issue, there is a problem that needs to be dealt with. All right. So sin in the life of a believer wins. Go and show him his fault. Go and show him his fault. Now, here we're getting into process. I showed you the problem that we've got a believer and they have sin in their life. Now, here is the process. Here are the steps that we take when we find ourselves in that situation. Step number one, go. Go and tell or go and show or literally go and reprove your brother of his fault. Now, again, very direct not a whole lot of, uh, you know, wordplay in this, but I want you to notice he says, go. And in the Greek language, that is an emphatic word. It is very intentional. It is very emphatic. He says, don't sit around. Now, here's why this is important. You can't just sit back when you are a witness to sin or when sin has been committed against you and let it go. You have to deal with it. This whole process is going to be about the dealing with sin. But number one, Jesus says, listen, go and tell your brother. Go and talk to him. What happens if someone offends me or if someone sins against me or if I witness someone sinning against another believer? I witness another believer caught in this problem. And I just decide, you know what, it's, it's, not, it's not my responsibility. Um, you know, maybe I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Uh, this, that, or the other, and I explain away the fact that this needs to be dealt with. What happens? Then maybe I go home and I harbor maybe a bitterness against this guy for what he's done. If it's never confronted, then there's never going to be a resolution, at least in your mind. It has to be confronted. And that's a step, guys. It's an obvious step, but it's a step that maybe we, we miss all too many times when we get into this process. We don't do it. We don't do it. We simply don't go. The number one problem with church discipline and accountability in the church is when there's an issue, when there's a sin, we don't go. Now, let me tell you how this is supposed to work. Uh, and this is a personal example. I've been teaching at another church the last few Wednesday nights, and I met this lady after church, and she told me her name. And I, I'm, I'm terrible with names, but I caught her first name, and I intentionally remembered her name. Um, I don't remember her telling me her last name, but she told me her name, and she said uh, immediately, this is what I do. This is the business I work for. And I said, oh, and I recognize the name of the business. Now, I've had problems with this business on two occasions. And I popped off at the mouth, 
right? I, I didn't think, and I just, it just came out half joking. I said, I hate that place. And I gave her the name right back. And I didn't notice anything at the time, and we talked about it, and I told her the issues that I had, and it wasn't, it wasn't really a big deal, but I used some pretty strong language. I said, I hate basically your company. And I think she got that I was just kidding around. At least I assumed she did. Well, the next week, I saw this lady again. She came up to me, and she said, hey, you know, um, I talked to you last week. And I said, yeah, I remember. And I said her first name, and I was proud. I, I gave her her name right back. And uh, she said, yeah, do you remember my last name? And I said, no, I don't remember your last name. And I'm thinking to myself, you're lucky that I remembered your first name because I'm terrible with names. And I was so proud. And she just, she crushed me right there. I didn't remember her last name. And she says, well, do you remember where I worked? And I said, yeah, yeah, I remember where you worked. And she said, well, my last name is, and she gave me the last name, which is the same name as the business. And my husband, she's like, it really, it really bothered me. You know, she's like, I, I didn't know what to do with that. And I talked to my husband about it. And, um, you know, she said, you know, it kind of hurt. I don't remember exact words, but I could tell it bothered her. And I said, I'm I'm so sorry. I just I just popped off at the mouth. I said, it really wasn't that big of a deal. I promise I'll come back to your business. And um, uh, she says, she says, well, I just wanted to I I figured it wasn't much of anything, but I wanted to I wanted to bring it up because I didn't want it to linger. She said, because it it bothered me and it would have continued to bother her. And I, I said very quickly, thinking about this passage, thank you. Thank you for coming and bringing that up to me because I really didn't intend. I, you know, I, I said it uh, totally in a way I shouldn't have said it. I wasn't thinking. But thank you for coming to me and just saying that because now you've said it and we've talked and it's resolved. She knew I didn't mean that I hated her and her co- and all this. And it worked out and it was done. But you see, if she would have not went, if she would have not gone to her brother, me, who had sinned against her, it would, have just, it would have just laid there. And in her mind, maybe I would have continued to forever hate her company and therefore her family. And in my mind, I would have never known that I needed to apologize. I would have never known that I needed to repent. You have to go. Folks, uh, this, this first step right here is going and talking and dealing with the issue. All right? And if we don't do it, then the system from here on out, just breaks down. Can I tell you, this is 90% of the time where the system breaks down. This part of church discipline, when we talk about church discipline, we always think about step four, and we're going to get to that. We always think about the, the furthest, uh, most extreme part of church discipline that rarely ever happens. It needs to happen probably more than it does, but it rarely ever happens. But what we don't think about is that this step one, it should happen Probably on a regular basis. Why? Because we all do dodo head things, right? Including me. Including me. So on a regular basis, we should be a people coming to each other, going, presenting the problem. Why? So it doesn't fester, so it doesn't become something else. Who knows what this lady would have thought about me a year down the road if that would have never been resolved. All because I said something without thinking. You got to go. Step one You have to go. Now, don't miss what he says here. You go to them, verse 15, and show them their fault. You present the problem. You say, hey, here's what happened, just like this lady did with me. She's like, you said this, and I said this, and and here's why it bothered me, etc. That's what happens. But notice something else, and this lady did this beautifully. It says, do it how? In private. Step number one never takes place in public. Step number one is always between the two offending parties. Okay, 
if at all possible, or even if you're not the one who's been sinned against, but you were just a witness to the sin, you always go to this person in private. And let me say this. In private doesn't, uh, doesn't mean that you have to you know, meet behind Kroger. Okay? Or it doesn't mean you need to set up this you know, uh, secret meeting in the park. All right? Especially for single folks. Probably not a wise deal. Right? Privately just means that you don't do it in front of other people. You keep this to as few of people as possible. It also means that there were 50 people in the room. She pulled me to the side. No one else was listening, and she dealt with it privately. It was her and I, and it was done. And no one else had to be a part of it. Now, if she'd have gone to 50 other people and talked about it, then all those 50 people would have thought the same thing that she was thinking about me. You follow me here? Do it privately. It doesn't mean you have to be one-on-one, only you and them in the same room, uh, in a desolate place. It just means that you do it without going to anyone else first. You don't involve the rest of the church. Step one, you do it privately. And nine times out of ten, if you're dealing with two believers who are willing to be receptive to these sort of things, it'll, it'll be resolved then. It'll be resolved then. Step one needs to take place often in the church. Often. But you got to go. you got to go. Don't talk yourself into sitting on it. Don't talk yourself into not dealing with it. you got to go. And I'll talk to you in a few minutes about how you go in the right spirit. Step number two in the process. Look at verse uh, 15 here, the end of it. You go to him in private. If he listens to you, you've won a brother and it's done. That's it. It's over. But if not, thank you, Jesus, for giving us a step two. Because sometimes your brother doesn't listen. If I'd have told this lady, you know what? You are crazy. I never said such a thing. I really don't care. If, if I would have not asked for her forgiveness, if I would have not confessed that, yes, I agree with the, with the problem you're bringing to my attention, then it wouldn't have been resolved. She would have had to gone to step two. And here's step two. Step two says, verse 16, but if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you so that by the mouth of one or two, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact or every word literally may be confirmed. If, uh, if you look in your text there, it should be in all caps or maybe italicized in your, in your verse, that that is an Old Testament reference back to Deuteronomy. It's uh, basically a reference saying that God has already set up this process so that you don't have to necessarily be on your own doing this, that you can have others that will go with you if this person doesn't listen. If you don't resolve it in step one, you take more people with you. Why? To protect them. And to protect you. Now, let me say this. These witnesses don't necessarily have to be witnesses of the sin itself. If that were the case, in step two, after they don't listen, here's what I'd be doing. If I go to Preston, he doesn't, he doesn't receive uh, my rebuke to him. Step two, I've got to go find a couple other people. Here's what I've got to do. I've got to start interviewing people to find out who saw what Preston did to me. Right? So, ideally, these people know firsthand what the sin is. But you're not to run around out here and say, hey, did you see what so-and-so did? Or do you know what Preston did? No, you don't know? Oh, well, forget about it. I'll go find someone else. And then everybody's wondering, what did Preston do? Right? The text means that you have two or three witnesses that when you go back to this brother a second time, now you have testimony, true testimony of not just yourself, 
but of other people who witness that you have gone to this person, not once, but you've gone to them now twice. And now they can testify to the demeanor of this person. They can testify to your gracefulness in approaching them. They can testify to what was said on their part, to what was said on your part. They can testify. They can be witnesses to everything that goes on in this confrontation. If it immediately, then you immediately have to jump to step two. Okay? These are steps, but let me say this. You may do step one two, three times until what? Until you are convinced in your heart that this brother is not going to listen. So if I offend Preston and Preston comes to me and he says, Daryl, you know, hey, man, you did this. And I'm like, man, I, don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. I think you're being, being silly. And he goes away and I didn't receive that and I didn't apologize. It's not resolved. He doesn't have to automatically go and get my wife and his wife and approach me, right? He can come back in another date. He can maybe pray for me that God would soften my heart. Because listen, anytime you confront somebody, you better be ready that they're not going to react as perfectly as you would want them to. We're all human, and we all tend to have this knee-jerk effect when we are confronted. I mean, it's this pride that lives within us. You tell me that I've done something wrong, I'm going to defend myself, I'm going to explain myself away, I'm going to, I'm going to get myself out of that I've done this. I do this a lot with my own wife, right? She says, man, you really, you really hurt my feelings on this. Well, I didn't mean it. You took it the wrong way. Right? Doesn't mean she needs to go out and get three other people and come and confront me about it. <laughs> it may take a couple times of her coming to me individually until she's convinced that, you know what, my husband's not going to listen. He's not hearing. He's not hearing this problem. And so then step two, you, you, you basically just turn it up a notch. And here's why step two is effective. Because if my wife does that, and now she has to go and she has to get a couple other believers, and I'm not repenting of this deal, I'm not confessing, I'm not agreeing with her that I did anything wrong, and I'm never, she has no indication that I'm going to listen or change my mind. When she goes and gets a couple brothers, if she goes and gets Preston, or she goes and gets another one of my friends, and they come to me together, and she says, Daryl, listen, you know, I, I really need you to see what you've done here, and, and I've asked you about it several times, but you, you're, not, you're not seeing it. Hey, I brought Preston because this is, it's this important to me. You see, when you bring more than one person, it steps it up in their heart and in their mind that maybe, maybe they begin to recognize the seriousness of the situation. You follow me? Step two, you get some witnesses and you go. Keep going. Step three, I'm running out of time here. Uh, step three, verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, Meaning the group now, not just the individual, but the group they have brought. Here's what you do. You tell it to the church. And once again, step two might happen a couple times. Amen? Step two might happen a couple times. There might be a couple different groups that come and confront you on that. Hopefully, after maybe the second group comes, you're starting to see, this is a serious matter. Maybe I need to rethink what I've done. But if that's not working and this individual is still not listening, remember, this is an individual who said that they're committed to the standards of purity and holiness that God has set for the church. They've committed to being a part of this family. If they're still not listening to their brothers and sisters, you've got to step it up another notch. You've got to make it a little more serious in their own heart and in their own mind. Here's what you do. You take it. To the church. Now, the word church here, it's only used two times in the Gospels in this way. The word church here, it can't refer to the church as we are the church. Following me here? It can be your Bible study group. It can be your accountability group. It can be a group of missionaries on the field. 
Church discipline, church accountability can take place in more than just the corporate church atmosphere. It can happen in your family. That as a family, in your home, as a believing family, you might be able to do this. All right? What it's saying here also is that there is no higher authority than the church. It's not going to say that you take it to the church and then after you take it to the church and they still don't listen, then you take it to uh, the association of churches or you take it to the synod or you take it to the convention. It ends here in a sense. The church, in Jesus' mind, is the highest authority. The group, the assembly of believers, your brothers and sisters who are around you corporately, they have this ultimate right and responsibility. So they don't listen to the individual. You go and you get some friends. They don't listen to your friends. You go and now you take it to the church. I want to, I want to point out here to you as well. It doesn't give details on how you take it to the church. It doesn't say take it to the pastor. It doesn't say take it to the deacons. It doesn't say take it to the elders. It doesn't say take it to uh, the prayer team. It doesn't say who to take it to. And that in part has to do with that fact that the church leadership dynamic that God institutes in the New Testament is somewhat of a fluid thing. We have elders, we have deacons, we have pastors, we have church leaders, but how we put those together, God leaves pretty fluid. And you've got to imagine that that's a pretty smart thing to do because church leadership has to bridge years, centuries, generations, cultures. So this thing of the church, it has to go from Africa to America, right? And so we might do it a little differently. And so God says we need leaders. We need a plurality of leaders. He sets up this leadership plan, but he doesn't give us all the details on how to do it. And so here, when you take it to the church, you've got to know the system that you're in. There might be a route in your church to take it that is different than in the, a route to another church. Here's most likely what you're not going to do. Here's, well, I'm sure what you're not going to do in Cornerstone. You're not going to just announce it to the church on Sunday morning without the leadership knowing, right? In our process, what you do is, if you've gone individually, you've gone with a few other believers, now you, you're still not making any headway, you bring it to the leadership. And you say, listen, uh, this is a thing that might need to come before the whole body of the church. And the thing that Preston or I are going to say to you, number one, is, have you gone individually? Before you even tell us what the problem is, have you gone to this person yourself? And can I tell you, people love to do this. They love to bring it to the leadership first. Why? Because they don't want to confront it. They're worried about breaking a relationship. They're worried about all the ugly part. And that's, that's a valid concern. But the steps are not to bring it to the leadership first. It is the third step. And maybe there's some extra steps in there, some repeated steps. But finally, there does come a place where you can bring it to the church. You can bring it to the leadership of the church, and the leadership of the church can decide, does this need to go to the full body? When it comes to the full body... It has to be public. It has to be public. And you say to the full body, so-and-so, and you have to name the name, has done this. An individual has gone to them. If she's done something, and we've gone through this whole process with her, what we would say publicly from the pulpit was that my wife has done this, that, or the other. Here's the process that we've been through to try and win her back, and it's not worked. Church, go after them. Church, go after them. This isn't a witch hunt. We're going to talk more about the purpose behind this in just a second. This isn't a witch hunt. Now the church is involved so that we might win this brother or this sister. And so now we all go. And anytime we're in contact with this person, 
We have to confront them on this deal. And you see the seriousness here, how it steps up? Hopefully, as this thing escalates, the individual says, you know what? Something's going on here that maybe I need to confront. Now, the final step, step four, and I'll finish on this, and uh, we'll have to come back next week with the purpose and some practical advice. Step four of the process is really also the penalty. I told you about the problem. We looked at the first three steps of the process. Step four of the process you could also refer to as the penalty. If you've gone individually, if you've gone with a group, and now you've taken it to the church, and there is still no response to this person, let me tell you what's probably going to happen. This person is going to disappear, number one. They're not going to hang around when the whole church is seeking to restore them. But here's what you do if they are still hanging around. And this is, on the surface, a very harsh thing to do. But hold on till we get to the purpose next week, and you're going to understand exactly why we have to do this. But step four... The last resort for the church is that if this person will not listen still, look what it says, verse 17. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And now if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or as a tax collector. Those sound like pretty harsh words, but let me tell you that they are very loving words. To say that you are to make these people uh, in a Jewish context as if they were a Gentile or a tax collector. A Gentile or a tax collector uh, would be like saying uh, to a Jew, you are to make these people outsiders. Outsiders. Now, when we read that as Gentiles, we sort of look at it as a very negative connotation that, that we are dogs in a sense, all right? Remember, Jesus has a special place in his heart over and over and over in the New Testament for Gentiles and for tax collectors. A Gentile to a Jew, there were only two sorts of people, Jews and Gentiles. If you weren't a Jew, you were anything else, you're a Gentile. Only two categories in God's book, only two categories in the mind of the Jew. There's this subcategory of Gentiles or as of Jews that he also throws in here. It's a tax collector. A tax collector was a guy who was a Jew, but was basically a traitor against the Jews because he bought the right from the Roman Empire to tax his own people. All right? So this was a hated man in many of the Jews' minds. But the point here is not that you are to hate them. is that they are to be separate. They are to be looked at not like brothers in Israel, not to be looked like like fifth. They were, even though they say they're confessing believers, and they may be. We need to act as if they were not part of the family. We're to act as if they were Gentiles. We're to act as if they were tax collectors. I'm going to stop right here so we don't go over. We're going to pick up on this next week. I'm going to finish explaining the process, and then I'm going to tell you the purpose behind this church discipline process because the purpose, guys, is where this whole thing Pinnacles, if you miss the purpose, you're not going to understand why we do this whole thing, all right? Let me pray, and Preston's going to come up. Father, we, uh, we're halfway through this, and it's, uh, well, it's a little bit tedious just to get through these steps. But, Lord, um, if I give us a little hint to where we're going, we're looking at a process that is really your heart. 
It's the heart of restoration. It's the heart of redemption. It's the heart of salvation. It's the heart of claiming that which is gone astray. Lord, I pray we don't lose this process. But more than that, I pray that we are anxious to know the purpose. Because the penalty within the process is not where we want to be. And it's not where we want our brothers and sisters in Christ to be. Father, we want to avoid it at all costs. And we want to do this the right way. So would you, would you give us a desire to uh, make it a priority to be back next week so that we know exactly why this is here? Lord, some of us in our hearts are saying, you know what? I don't think I could ever do that. I don't think I could ever confront another believer. Some of us are here this morning saying, I I don't know what I'd do if someone ever confronted me. Lord, knowing that we are sinful, knowing that this, this problem will present itself in the body, I pray that we would, uh, we would be diligent to know exactly how we are to act towards each other and how, how we are to handle each other in the family. Father, we sing that you are enough. And as we sing this, we remember that uh, you sought us, you redeemed us, you saved us when we were astray. You were enough for us when our sin was grave. We give you praise this morning for all that you've done. In Christ's name.